0: Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back, everyone, to the Scarlet Pimpernel, chapters 27 through 29. This is your host, John Hagedorn. And now, chapter 27, On the Track. Never for a moment did Marguerite Blakeney hesitate. The last sounds outside the Chagree had died away in the night. She had heard Descas giving orders to his men, and then starting off towards the fort. "'to get a reinforcement of a dozen more men. six were not thought sufficient "'to capture the cunning Englishman, "'whose resourceful brain was even more dangerous "'than his valour and his strength. "'Then a few minutes later, "'she heard the Jew's husky voice again, "'evidently shouting to his nag, "'then the rumble of wheels "'and the noise of a rickety cart "'bumping over the rough road. "'Inside the inn, everything was still. "'Brogard and his wife, "'terrified of Chauvelin, "'had given no sign of life. "'They hoped to be forgotten.' and at any rate to remain unperceived. Marguerite could not even hear their usual volleys of muttered oaths. She waited a moment or two longer, then she quietly slipped down the broken stairs, wrapped her dark cloak closely round her, and slipped out of the inn. The night was fairly dark, sufficiently so at any rate to hide her dark figure from view, whilst her keen ears kept count of the sound of the cart going on ahead. She hoped by keeping well within the shadow of the ditches which lined the road, "'that she would not be seen by Descasse's men "'when they approached, "'or by the patrols, "'which she concluded were still on duty. "'Thus she started to do this, "'the last stage of her weary journey, "'alone, at night, and on foot. "'Nearly three leagues to Miquelon, "'and then on to the Pear Blanchard's hut, "'wherever that fatal spot might be, "'probably over rough roads. "'She cared not. "'The Jew's nag could not get on very fast.' and though she was weary with mental fatigue and nerve strain, she knew that she could easily keep up with it, on a hilly road where the poor beast, who was sure to be half-starved, would have to be allowed long and frequent rests. The road lay some distance from the sea, bordered on either side by shrubs and stunted trees, sparsely covered with meager foliage, all turning away from the north, with their branches looking in semi-darkness, like stiff, ghostly hair blown by a perpetual wind. Fortunately, the moon showed no desire to peep between the clouds, and Marguerite, hugging the edge of the road and keeping close to the low line of shrubs, was fairly safe from view. Everything around here was so still, only from far, very far away, there came like a long, soft moan the sound of the distant sea. The air was keen and full of brine. After that enforced period of inactivity, inside the evil smelling, squalid inn, Marguerite would have enjoyed the sweet scent of this autumnal night and the distant melancholy rumble of the waves. She would have reveled in the calm and stillness of this lonely spot, a calm broken only at intervals by the strident and mournful cry of some distant gull and by the creaking of the wheels some way down the road. She would have loved the cool atmosphere, the peaceful immensity of nature, in this lonely part of the coast, but her heart was too full of cruel foreboding "'of a great ache and longing for a being "'who would become infinitely dear to her. "'Her feet slipped on the grassy bank, "'for she thought it safest not to walk near the centre of the road, "'and she found it difficult to keep up a sharp pace "'along the muddy incline. "'She even thought it best not to keep too near to the cart. "'Everything was so still "'that the rumble of the wheels could not fail to be a safe guide. "'The loneliness was absolute. "'Already the few dim lights of Calais lay far behind.' and on this road there was not a sign of human habitation, not even the hut of a fisherman or of a woodcutter anywhere near. Far away on her right was the edge of the cliff, below it the rough beach, against which the incoming tide was dashing itself with its constant, distant murmur, and ahead the rumble of the wheels bearing an implacable enemy to his triumph. Marguerite wondered at what particular spot on this lonely coast Percy could be at this moment. Not very far, surely, for he had had less than a quarter of an hour's start of Chauvelin. She wondered if he knew that in this cool, ocean-scented bit of France there lurked many spies, all eager to sight his tall figure, to track him to where his unsuspecting friends waited for him, and then to close the net over him and them. Chauvelin, on ahead, jolted and jostled in the Jews' vehicle, was nursing comfortable thoughts. He rubbed his hands together, with content, as he thought of the web which he had woven— "'and through which that ubiquitous and daring Englishman could not hope to escape. "'As the time went on, and the old Jew drove him leisurely but surely along the dark road, "'he felt more and more eager for the grand finale of this exciting chase "'after the mysterious Scarlet Pimpernel. "'The capture of the audacious plotter would be the finest leaf "'in Citoyen Chauvelin's wreath of glory. "'Caught red-handed, on the spot, "'in the very act of aiding and abetting the traitors against the Republic of France,' the Englishman could claim no protection from his own country. Chauvelin had, in any case, fully made up his mind that all intervention should come too late. Never for a moment did the slightest remorse enter his heart as to the terrible position in which he had placed the unfortunate wife who had unconsciously betrayed her husband. As a matter of fact, Chauvelin had ceased even to think of her. She had been a useful tool, and that was all. The Jew's lean nag did little more than walk, She was going along at a slow jog trot, and her driver had to give her long and frequent halts. "'Are we a long way yet from Miquelon?' asked Chauvelin from time to time. "'Not very far, Your Honor,' was the uniform placid reply. "'We've not yet come across your friend and mine, lying in a heap in the roadway,' was Chauvelin's sarcastic comment. "'Patience, Noble Excellency,' rejoined the son of Moses. "'They are ahead of us. "'I can see the imprint of the cart-wheels "'driven by that traitor, that son of the Amalekite. You "'Are sure of the road?' "'As sure as I am of the presence of those ten gold pieces "'in the noble excellency's pockets, "'which I trust will presently be mine. "'As soon as I have shaken hands with my friend the tall stranger, "'they will certainly be yours.' "'Hark! What was that?' said the Jew, suddenly. "'Through the stillness, which had been absolute,' there could now be heard distinctly the sound of horses' hooves on the muddy road. They are soldiers,' he added, in an awed whisper. "'Stop a moment. I want to hear,' said Jovelin. Marguerite had also heard the sound of galloping hoofs, coming towards the cart and towards herself. For some time she had been on the alert, thinking that Descas and his squad would soon overtake them. But these came from the opposite direction, presumably from Miquelon.' The darkness lent her sufficient cover. She had perceived that the cart had stopped, and with utmost caution, treading noiselessly on the soft road, she crept a little nearer. Her heart was beating fast. She was trembling in every limb. Already she had guessed what news these mounted men would bring. Every stranger on these roads or on the beach must be shadowed, especially if he be tall or stoops, as if he would disguise his height. When sighted, a mounted messenger must at once ride back and report. Those had been Chauvelin's orders. Had then the tall stranger been sighted, and was this the mounted messenger, come to bring the great news that the hunted hare had run its head into the noose at last? Marguerite, realizing that the cart had come to a standstill, managed to slip nearer to it in the darkness. She crept close up, hoping to get within earshot, to hear what the messenger had to say. She heard the quick words of challenge, Liberté, Fraternité, Egalité, and then Chauvelin's quick query. What news? Two men on horseback had halted beside the vehicle. Marguerite could see them silhouetted against the midnight sky. She could hear their voices and the snorting of their horses, and now behind her, some little distance off, the regular and measured tread of a body of advancing men, Descasse and his soldiers. There had been a long pause during which, no doubt, Chauvelin satisfied the men as to his identity, for presently, Questions and answers followed each other in quick succession. You have seen the stranger? asked Chauvelin eagerly. No, said we have seen no tall stranger. We came by the edge of the cliff. Then? Less than a quarter of a league beyond Miquelon, we came across a rough construction of wood, which looked like the hut of a fisherman, where he might keep his tools and nets. When we first sighted it, it seemed to be empty, and at first we thought there was nothing suspicious about it. "'until we saw some smoke issuing through an aperture at the side. "'I dismounted and crept close to it. "'It was then empty, but in one corner of the hut "'there was a charcoal fire, "'and a couple of stools were also in the hut. "'I consulted with my comrades, "'and we decided that they should take cover with the horses, "'well out of sight, and that I should remain on the watch, "'which I did.' "'Well, and did you see anything?' "'About half an hour later,' I heard voices, said and presently two men came along towards the edge of the cliff. They seemed to me to have come from the Lille Road. One was young, the other quite old. They were talking in a whisper, to one another, and I could not hear what they said. One was young, the other quite old. Marguerite's aching heart almost stopped beating as she listened. Was the young one Armand, her brother? And the old one de Tournay? Were they the two fugitives who, unconsciously, were used as a decoy to entrap their fearless and noble rescuer? The two men presently went into the hut, continued the soldier, whilst Marguerite's aching nerves seemed to catch the sound of Chauvelin's triumphant chuckle. And I crept nearer to it then. The hut is very roughly built, and I caught snatches of their conversation. Yes, quick, what did you hear? "'The old man asked the young one "'if he were sure this was the right place. "'Oh, yes,' he replied. Tis the place, sure enough.' "'And by the light of the charcoal fire "'he showed to his companion a paper which he carried. "'Here is the plan,' he said, "'which he gave me before I left London. "'We were to adhere strictly to that plan "'unless I had contrary orders. "'And I've had none. "'Here is the road we followed. "'See? "'Here the fork. "'Here we cut across the St. Martin Road.' and here is the footpath which brought us to the edge of the cliff. I must have made a slight noise then, for the young man came to the door of the hut and peered anxiously all around him. When he again joined his companion, they whispered so low that I could no longer hear them. "'Well, and?' asked Chauvelin, impatiently. "'There were six of us altogether patrolling that part of the beach, so we consulted together.' "'and thought it best that four should remain behind "'and keep the hut in sight. "'And I and my comrade rode back at once "'to make report of what we had seen. "'You saw nothing of the tall stranger?' "'Nothing,' said Thuyen. "'If your comrades see him, "'what would they do?' "'Not lose sight of him for a moment, "'and if he showed signs of escape "'or any boat came in sight, "'they would close in on him, "'and if necessary, they would shoot. "'The firing would bring the rest of the patrol to the spot.' In any case, they would not let the stranger go. "'Aye, but I did not want the stranger hurt, not just yet,' murmured Jovelin, savagely. "'But there, you've done your best. The fates grant that I may not be too late. "'We met half a dozen men just now who have been patrolling this road for several hours. "'Well, they have seen no stranger either. "'Yet he is on ahead somewhere, in a cart or else,' "'Here! There is not a moment to lose. How far is that hut from here?' "'A couple of leagues,' said to Yen. "'You can find it again, at once, without hesitation?' "'I have absolutely no doubt,' said Thuyen. To, "'To the footpath? To the edge of the cliff? Even in the dark?' "'It is not a dark night,' said Yen, "'and I know I can find my way,' repeated the soldier, firmly. "'Fall in behind, then.' Let your comrade take both your horses back to Calais. You won't want them. Keep aside the cart and direct the Jew to drive straight ahead. Then stop him within a quarter of a league of the footpath. See that he takes the most direct road. Whilst Chauvelin spoke, Desgas and his men were fast approaching, and Marguerite could hear their footsteps within a hundred yards behind her now. She thought it unsafe to stay where she was, and unnecessary too, as she had heard enough. "'She seemed suddenly to have lost all faculty "'even for the suffering. "'Her heart, her nerves, her brain "'seemed to have become numb "'after all these hours of ceaseless anguish culminating in this awful despair. "'For now there was absolutely not the faintest hope. "'Within two short leagues of this spot "'the fugitives were waiting for their brave deliverer. "'He was on his way, somewhere on this lonely road, "'and presently he would join them. "'Then the well-laid trap would close.' two dozen men, led by one whose hatred was as deadly as his cunning was malicious, would close round the small band of fugitives and their daring leader. They would all be captured. Armand, according to Chauvelin's pledged word, would be restored to her. But her husband, Percy, whom with every breath she drew she seemed to love and worship more and more, he would fall into the hands of a remorseless enemy who had no pity for a brave heart, no admiration for the courage of a noble soul. "'who would show nothing but hatred for the cunning antagonist "'who had baffled him for so long. "'She heard the soldier giving a few brief directions to the Jew. "'Then she retired quickly to the edge of the road "'and cowered behind some low shrubs, "'whilst Descasse and his men came up. "'All fell noiselessly behind the cart, "'and slowly they all started down the dark road. "'Marguerite waited until she reckoned "'that they were well outside the range of earshot. "'Then, she too in the darkness,' which suddenly seemed to have become more intense, crept noiselessly along. We'll return with chapter 28 right after these sponsor messages. And now chapter twenty eight The Pair Blanchard's Hut As in a dream, Marguerite followed on. The web was drawing more and more tightly every moment round the beloved life, which had become dearer than all. To see her husband once again, to tell him how she had suffered, how much she had wronged, and how little she had understood him, had become now her only aim. She had abandoned all hope of saving him. She saw him gradually hemmed in on all sides, and in despair, "'She gazed round her into the darkness, "'and wondered whence he would presently come "'to fall into the death-trap "'which his relentless enemy had prepared for him. "'The distant roar of the waves now made her shudder. "'The occasional dismal cry of an owl or a seagull "'filled her with unspeakable horror. "'She thought of the ravenous beasts in human shape "'who lay in wait for their prey "'and destroyed them as mercilessly as any hungry wolf "'for the satisfaction of their own appetite of hate. "'Marguerite was not afraid of the darkness.' She only feared that man on ahead, who was sitting at the bottom of a rough wooden cart, nursing thoughts of vengeance which would have made the very demons in hell chuckle with delight. Her feet were sore, her knees shook under her, from sheer bodily fatigue. For days now she had lived in a wild turmoil of excitement. She had not had a quiet rest for three nights. Now she had walked on a slippery road for nearly two hours, and yet her determination never swerved for a moment. She would see her husband, tell him all, and, if he was ready to forgive the crime which she had committed in her blind ignorance, she would yet have the happiness of dying by his side. She must have walked on almost in a trance, instinct alone keeping her up, and guiding her in the wake of the enemy, when suddenly her ears, attuned to the slightest sound, by that same blind instinct, told her that the cart had stopped, and that the soldiers had halted. They had come to their destination, no doubt on the right, somewhere close ahead, was the footpath that led to the edge of the cliff and to the hut. Heedless of any risks, she crept quite close up to where Chauvelin stood, surrounded by his little troop. He had descended from the cart and was giving some orders to the men. These she wanted to hear, What little chance she had of being useful to Percy consisted in hearing absolutely every word of his enemy's plans." "'the spot where all the party had halted "'must have lain some eight hundred metres from the coast. "'The sound of the sea came only very faintly "'as from a distance. "'Chauvelin and Desgas, followed by the soldiers, "'had turned off sharply to the right of the road, "'apparently onto the footpath, which led to the cliffs. "'The Jew had remained on the road with his cart and nag. "'Marguerite, with infinite caution, "'and literally crawling on her hands and knees, "'had also turned off to the right.' To accomplish this she had to creep through the rough, low shrubs, trying to make as little noise as possible as she went along, tearing her face and hands against the dry twigs, intent only upon hearing, without being seen or heard. Fortunately, as is usual in this part of France, the footpath was bordered by a low, rough hedge, beyond which was a dry ditch, filled with coarse grass. In this Marguerite managed to find shelter. She was quite hidden from view yet could contrive to get within three yards of where Chauvelin stood, giving orders to his men. Now, he was saying, in a low and peremptory whisper, where is Père Blanchard's hut? About eight hundred meters from here, along the footpath, said the soldier, who had lately been directing the party, and halfway down the cliff. Very good. You shall lead us. Before we begin to descend the cliff, you shall creep down to the hut, as noiselessly as possible and ascertain if the traitor royalists are there do you understand? I understand, citoyen. Now listen very attentively, all of you, continued Chauvelin impressively, and addressing the soldiers collectively, for after this we may not be able to exchange another word. So remember every syllable I utter, as if your very lives depend upon your memory. Perhaps they do, he added dryly. We listen, citoyen. "'said Discos, and a soldier of the Republic "'never forgets an order. "'You, who have crept up to the hut, "'will try to peep inside. "'If an Englishman is there with those traitors, "'a man who is tall above the average, "'or who stoops as if he would disguise his height, "'then give a sharp, quick whistle "'as a signal to your comrades. "'All of you,' he added, "'once more speaking to the soldiers collectively. "'Then quickly surround and rush into the hut, "'and each sees one of the men there,' "'before they have time to draw their firearms. "'If any of them struggle, shoot at their legs or arms, "'but on no account kill the tall man. "'Do you understand?' "'We understand,' said Thuyen. "'The man who is tall above the average "'is probably also strong above the average. "'It will take four or five of you at least to overpower him.' "'There was a little pause. "'Then Chauvelin continued. "'If the royalist traders are still alone, "'which is more than likely to be the case,' Then warn your comrades who are lying in wait there, and all of you creep and take cover behind the rocks and boulders round the hut, and wait there, in dead silence, until the tall Englishman arrives. Then only rush the hut, when he is safely within its doors. But remember that you must be as silent as the wolf is at night when he prowls round the pens. I do not wish those royalists to be on the alert. The firing of a pistol, a shriek or call on their part, would be sufficient, Perhaps to warn the tall personage to keep clear of the cliffs, and of the hut, and he added emphatically, "It is the tall Englishman whom it is your duty to capture tonight." You shall be implicitly obeyed, Citoyen. Then get along as noiselessly as possible, and I will follow you. What about the Jew, Citoyen? Asked Descas. As silently, like noiseless shadows, one by one the soldiers began to creep along the rough and narrow footpath. "'Ah, yes, I had forgotten the Jew,' said Chauvelin, and turning towards the Jew, he called him peremptorily. "'Here, you, Aaron, Moses, Abraham, whatever your confounded name may be,' he said to the old man, who had quietly stood beside his lean nag as far away from the soldiers as possible. "'Benjamin Rosenbaum, so it please, Your Honor,' he replied humbly. "'It does not please me to hear your voice.' "'but it does please me to give you certain orders "'which you will find it wise to obey. "'So it please your honor. "'Hold your confounded tongue. "'You shall stay here, do here, "'with your horse and cart, until I return. "'You are on no account to utter the faintest sound "'or even to breathe louder than you can help, "'nor are you, on any consideration whatever, "'to leave your post until I give you orders to do so. "'Do you understand?' "'But your honor,' protested the Jew, pitiably. "'There is no question of but, or of any argument,' said Chauvelin, in a tone that made the timid old man tremble from head to foot. "'If when I return, I do not find you here, I most solemnly assure you that, wherever you may try to hide yourself, I can find you, and that punishment swift, sure, and terrible will sooner or later overtake you. Do you hear me?' "'But Your Excellency,' "'I said, do you hear me?' "'The soldiers had all crept away. "'The three men stood alone together in the dark and lonely road, "'with Marguerite there behind the hedge, listening to Chauvelin's orders as she would to her own death sentence. "'I heard, Your Honor,' protested the Jew again, "'while he tried to draw nearer to Chauvelin. "'And I swear by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob "'that I would obey your honor most absolutely.' and that I would not move from this place until your honour once more deigned to shed the light of your countenance upon your humble servant. But remember, your honour, I am a poor old man. My nerves are not as strong as those of a young soldier. If midnight marauders should come prowling round this lonely road, I might scream or run in my fright. And is my life to be forfeit? Is some terrible punishment to come upon my poor old head for that which I cannot help?' The Jew seemed in real distress— was shaking from head to foot. Clearly he was not the man to be left by himself on this lonely road. The man spoke truly. He might unwittingly, in sheer terror, utter the shriek that might prove a warning to the wily scarlet Pimpernel. Chauvelin reflected for a moment. "'Will your horse and cart be safe alone here, do you think?' he asked. "'I fancy,' said Yen, and here interposed Disqas, "'that they will be safer without that dirty, cowardly Jew than with him.' "'There seems no doubt that, if he gets scared, "'he will either make a bolt of it, or shriek his head off. "'But what am I to do with the brute? "'Will you send him back to Calais?' said "'No, for we shall want him to drive back the wounded presently,' "'said Chauvelin, with grim significance. "'There was a pause again, Descas, waiting for the decision of his chief, "'and the old Jew whining beside his nag. "'Well, you lazy, lumbering old coward!' "'said Chauvelin at last. "'You had better shuffle along behind us. "'Here,' said Tuyen Disqas, "'tie this handkerchief tightly round the fellow's mouth.' "'Chauvelin handed a scarf to Descas, "'who solemnly began winding it round the Jew's mouth. "'Meekly, Benjamin Rosenbaum allowed himself to be gagged. "'He, evidently, preferred this uncomfortable state "'to that of being left alone, in the dark, on St. Martin Road. "'Then the three men fell in line. "'Quick! Quick!' "'said Chauvelin, impatiently. "'We've already wasted much valuable time, "'and the firm footsteps of Chauvelin and Descas, "'the shoveling gait of the old Jew, "'soon died away along the footpath. "'Marguerite had not lost a single one "'of Chauvelin's words of command. "'Her every nerve was strained "'to completely grasp the situation first, "'then to make a final appeal to those wits "'which had so often been called the sharpest in Europe, "'and which alone might be of service now. "'Certainly the situation was desperate enough.' a tiny band of unsuspecting men, quietly awaiting the arrival of the rescuer, who was equally unconscious of the trap laid for them all. It seemed so horrible, this net, as it were drawn in a circle at the dead of night on a lonely beach round a few defenseless men, defenseless because they were tricked and unsuspecting. Of these, one was the husband she idolized, another the brother she loved— she vaguely wondered who the others were who were also calmly waiting for the scarlet pimpernel while death lurked behind every boulder of the cliffs for the moment she could do nothing but follow the soldiers and chauvelin she feared to lose her way or she would have rushed forward and found that wooden hut and perhaps been in time to warn the fugitives and their brave deliverer yet For a second, the thought flashed through her mind of uttering the piercing shrieks which Chauvelin seemed to dread, as a possible warning to the Scarlet Pimpernel and his friends, in the wild hope that they would hear and have yet time to escape before it was too late. But she did not know how far from the edge of the cliff she was. She did not know if her shrieks would reach the ears of the doomed men. Her effort might be premature, and she would never be allowed to make another. Her mouth would be securely gagged like that of the Jew, and she— "'a helpless prisoner in the hands of Chauvelin's men. "'Like a ghost she flitted noiselessly behind that hedge. "'She had taken her shoes off, "'and her stockings were by now torn off her feet. "'She felt neither soreness nor weariness. "'Indomitable will to reach her husband "'in spite of the adverse fate and of a cunning enemy "'killed all sense of bodily pain within her "'and rendered her instincts doubly acute. "'She heard nothing save the soft and measured footsteps "'of Percy's enemies on the front.' She saw nothing but, in her mind's eye, that wooden hut, and he her husband, walking blindly to his doom. Suddenly those same keen instincts within her made her pause in her mad haste, and cower still further within the shadow of the hedge. The moon, which had proved a friend to her by remaining hidden behind a bank of clouds, now emerged in all the glory of an early autumn night, and then a moment flooded the weird and lonely landscape with a rush of brilliant light. There, not two hundred meters ahead, was the edge of the cliff, and below, stretching far away to free and happy England, the sea rolled on smoothly and peaceably. Marguerite's gaze rested for an instant on the brilliant silvery waters, and as she gazed, her heart, which had been numb with pain for all these hours, seemed to soften and distend, and her eyes filled with hot tears. Not three miles away, with white sails set, a graceful schooner lay in wait. Marguerite had guessed, rather than recognized her. It was the daydream, Percy's favorite yacht, with old Briggs, that Prince of Skippers aboard, and all her crew of British sailors, her white sails, glistening in the moonlight, seemed to convey a message to Marguerite of joy and hope, which yet she feared could never be. She waited there, out at sea, waited for her master, like a beautiful white bird all ready to take flight, and he would never reach her never see her smooth deck again, never gaze any more on the white cliffs of England, the land of liberty and of hope. The sight of the schooner seemed to infuse into the poor wearied woman the superhuman strength of despair. There was the edge of the cliff, and some way below was the hut, where presently her husband would meet his death. But the moon was out. She could see her way now. She would see the hut from a distance, run to it, rouse them all, "'warn them at any rate to be prepared "'and to sell their lives dearly, "'rather than be caught like so many rats in a hole. "'She stumbled on behind the hedge "'in the low, thick grass of the ditch. "'She must have run on very fast, "'and at out distance. Chauvelin and Descasse, "'for presently she reached the edge of the cliff "'and heard their footsteps distinctly behind her, "'but only a very few yards away, "'and now the moonlight was full upon her, "'her figure must have been distinctly silhouetted "'against the silvery background of the sea. "'Only for a moment, though,' The next she had cowered, like some animal doubled up within itself. She peeped down the great rugged cliffs. The descent would be easy enough, as they were not precipitous, and the great boulders afforded plenty of foothold. Suddenly, as she gazed, she saw at some little distance on her left, and about midway down the cliffs, a rough wooden construction, through the walls of which a tiny red light glimmered like a beacon. Her very heart seemed to stand still. The eagerness of joy was so great, "'that it felt like an awful pain. "'She could not gauge how distant the hut was, "'but without hesitation she began the steep descent, "'creeping from boulder to boulder, carrying nothing for the enemy behind or for the soldiers, "'who evidently had all taken cover "'since the tall Englishman had not yet appeared. "'On she pressed, forgetting the deadly foe on her track, "'running, stumbling, foot sore, half-dazed, but still on, "'when suddenly a crevice or stone, or slippery bit of rock, threw her violently to the ground. She struggled again to her feet, and started running forward once more to give them that timely warning, to beg them to flee before he came, and to tell him to keep away, away from this death-trap, away from this awful doom. But now she realized that other steps, quicker than her own, were already close at her heels. The next instant a hand dragged at her skirt, and she was down on her knees again, while something was wound round her mouth to prevent her uttering a scream. Bewildered, half frantic with the bitterness of disappointment, she looked round her helplessly, and bending down quite close to her, she saw through the mist which seemed to gather round her, a pair of keen, malicious eyes, which appeared to her excited brain to have a weird, supernatural green light in them. She lay in the shadow of a great boulder. Chauvelin could not see her features, but he passed his thin white fingers over her face. "'A woman!' he whispered. "'By all the saints in the calendar!' "'We cannot let her loose, that's certain,' he muttered to himself. "'I wonder now.' Suddenly he paused, and after a few seconds of deadly silence, he gave forth a long, low, curious chuckle, while once again Marguerite felt, with a horrible shudder, his thin fingers wandering over her face. "'Dear me,' he whispered, with affected gallantry, "'this is indeed a charming surprise.' And Marguerite felt a resistless hand raised to Chauvelin's thin, mocking lips. The situation was indeed grotesque, had it not been at the same time so fearfully tragic. The poor, weary woman, broken in spirit, and half frantic with the bitterness of her disappointment, receiving on her knees the banal gallantries of her deadly enemy. Her senses were leaving her. Half choked with the tight grip round her mouth, she had no strength to move or to utter the faintest sound. THE EXCITEMENT WHICH ALL ALONG HAD KEPT UP HER DELICATE BODY SEEMED AT ONCE TO HAVE SUBSIDED, AND THE FEELING OF BLANK DESPAIR TO HAVE COMPLETELY PARALYZED HER BRAIN AND NERVES. CHAUVELIN MUST HAVE GIVEN SOME DIRECTIONS, WHICH SHE WAS TOO DAZED TO HEAR, FOR SHE FELT HERSELF LIFTED FROM OFF HER FEET. THE BANDAGE ROUND HER MOUTH WAS MADE MORE SECURE, AND A PAIR OF STRONG ARMS carried HER TOWARDS THAT TINY RED LIGHT ON ahead, HEAD, WHICH SHE HAD LOOKED UPON AS A BEACON, AND THE LAST FAINT GLIMMER OF HOPE. We'll return with chapter twenty-nine, right after this sponsor message. And now chapter twenty-nine, Trapped. She did not know how long she was thus carried along. She had lost all notion of time and space, and for a few seconds tired nature, mercifully, deprived her of consciousness. When she once more realized her state, she felt that she was placed with some degree of comfort upon a man's coat, with her back resting against a fragment of rock. The moon was hidden again behind some clouds, and the darkness seemed in comparison more intense. The sea was roaring some two hundred feet below her, and on looking all around she could no longer see any vestige of the tiny glimmer of red light. That the end of the journey had been reached, she gathered from the fact that she heard rapid questions and answers spoken in a whisper quite close to her. There are four men in there, said Douyin. They are sitting by the fire, and seem to be waiting quietly. The hour? Nearly two o'clock. "'The tide? "'Coming in quickly. "'The schooner. "'Obviously an English one, "'lying some three kilometers out. "'But we cannot see your boat. "'Have the men taken cover?' "'Yes,' said Douyin. "'They will not blunder?' "'They will not stir until the tall Englishman comes. "'Then they will surround and overpower the five men.' "'Right. "'And the lady?' "'Still dazed, I fancy.' "'She's close beside you, Citoyen. "'And the Jew.' "'He's gagged, and his legs strapped together. "'He cannot move or scream.' "'Good. "'Then have your gun ready, in case you want it. "'Get close to the hut, and leave me to look after the lady.' "'Descasse evidently obeyed, "'for Marguerite heard him creeping away along the stony cliff. "'Then she felt that a pair of warm, thin, talon-like hands "'took hold of both her own, and held them in a grip of steel.' "'Before that handkerchief is removed "'from your pretty mouth, fair lady,' "'whispered Chauvelin, close to her ear, "'I think it right to give you one small "'word of warning. "'What has procured me the honour of being "'followed across the channel by so charming a companion "'I cannot, of course, conceive. "'But if I mistake not, "'the purpose of this flattering attention "'is not one that would commend itself to my vanity, "'and I think that I am right in surmising, "'moreover, that the first sound "'which your pretty lips would utter, "'as soon as the cruel gag is removed,' "'would be one that would perhaps prove a warning "'to the cunning fox, "'which I have been at such pains to track to his lair.' "'He paused a moment, "'while the steel-like grasp seemed to tighten round her wrist. "'Then he resumed in the same hurried whisper. "'Inside that hut, if again I am not mistaken, "'your brother Armand St. Just "'waits with that traitor de Tournay "'and two other men unknown to you "'for the arrival of the mysterious rescuer "'whose identity has for so long puzzled "'our committee of public safety. "'The audacious, "'Scarlet Pimpernel. "'No doubt if you scream, "'if there is a scuffle here, "'if shots are fired, "'it is more than likely "'that the same long legs "'that brought this scarlet enigma here "'will as quickly take him "'to some place of safety. "'The purpose, then, "'for which I have travelled "'all these miles, "'would remain unaccomplished. "'On the other hand, "'it only rests with yourself "'that your brother, Armand, "'shall be free to go off with you "'to-night, if you like, to England.' or to any other place of safety. Marguerite could not utter a sound, as the handkerchief was wound very tightly round her mouth, but Chauvelin was peering through the darkness very closely into her face. No doubt, too, her hand gave a responsive appeal to his last suggestion, for presently he continued, "'What I want you to do, to ensure Armand's safety, is a very simple thing, dear lady.' "'What is it?' Marguerite's hand seemed to convey to his, in response. "'To remain,' "'on this spot, without uttering a sound, "'until I give you leave to speak.' "'Ah, but I think you'll obey,' he added, "'with that funny dry chuckle of his, "'as Marguerite's whole figure seemed to stiffen "'in defiance of this order. "'For let me tell you that if you scream, "'nay, if you utter one sound, "'or attempt to move from here, "'my men, and there are thirty of them here, "'will seize St. Just de Tournay, "'and their two friends, "'and shoot them here,' "'by my orders, before your eyes.' Marguerite had listened to her implacable enemy's speech with ever-increasing terror. Numbed with physical pain, she yet had sufficient mental vitality in her to realize the full horror of this terrible either-or he was once more putting before her, an either-or ten thousand times more appalling and horrible than the one he had suggested to her that fatal night at the ball. This time it meant that she should keep still, and allow the husband she worshipped to walk unconsciously to his death, or that she should, by trying to give him a word of warning, which perhaps might even be unavailing, actually give the signal for her own brother's death, and that of three other unsuspecting men. She could not see Chauvelin, but she could almost feel those keen, pale eyes of his fixed maliciously upon her helpless form, and his hurried, whispered words reached her ear, as the death knell of her last, faint, lingering hope. "'Nay, fair lady,' he added urbanely, "'You can have no interest in anyone save in St. Just, "'and all you need to do for his safety is to remain where you are "'and to keep silent. "'My men have strict orders to spare him in every way. "'As for that enigmatic scarlet pimpernel, "'what is he to you? "'Believe me, no warning from you could possibly save him. "'And now, dear lady, let me remove this unpleasant coercion "'which has been placed before your pretty mouth.' "'You see, I wish you to be perfectly free "'in the choice which you are about to make.' "'Her thoughts in a whirl, her temples aching, "'her nerves paralyzed, her body numb with pain, "'Marguerite sat there, in the darkness which surrounded her, "'as with a pall. "'From where she sat she could not see the sea, "'but she heard the incessant mournful murmur of the incoming tide, "'which spoke of her dead hopes, her lost love, "'the husband she had with her own hand betrayed, "'and sent to his death.' Chauvelin removed the handkerchief from her mouth. She certainly did not scream. At that moment she had no strength to do anything but barely to hold herself upright and to force herself to think-oh, think! think! of what she should do. The minutes flew on. In this awful stillness she could not tell how fast or how slowly. She heard nothing, she saw nothing. She did not feel the sweet smelling autumn air, scented with the briny odor of the sea. "'She no longer heard the murmur of the waves, "'the occasional rattling of a pebble "'as it rolled down some steep incline. "'More and more unreal did the whole situation seem. "'It was impossible that she, Marguerite Blakeney, "'the Queen of London Society, "'should actually be sitting here on this bit of lonely coast "'in the middle of the night, "'side by side with the most bitter enemy. "'And, oh, it was not possible that somewhere, "'not many hundred feet away, perhaps, "'from where she stood,' THE BEING SHE HAD ONCE DESPISED, BUT WHO NOW, IN EVERY MOMENT OF THIS WEIRD, DREAMLIKE LIFE, BECAME MORE AND MORE DEAR. IT WAS NOT POSSIBLE THAT HE WAS UNCONSCIOUSLY, EVEN NOW WALKING TO HIS DOOM, whilst SHE DID NOTHING TO SAVE HIM. WHY DID SHE NOT, WITH UNEARTHLY SCREAMS, THAT WOULD re echo FROM ONE END OF THE LONELY BEACH TO THE OTHER, SEND OUT A WARNING TO HIM TO DESIST, TO RETRACE HIS STEPS, FOR DEATH LURKED HERE WHILE HE ADVANCED? "'Once or twice the screams rose to her throat, "'as if by instinct. "'Then, before her eyes there, "'stood the awful alternative. "'Her brother and those three men shot before her eyes, "'practically by her orders. "'She, their murderer. "'Oh, that fiend in human shape, "'next to her new human female nature, well! "'He had played upon her feelings "'as a skillful musician plays upon an instrument. "'He had gauged her very thoughts to a nicety. "'She could not give that signal.' For she was weak, and she was a woman. How could she deliberately order Armand to be shot before her eyes, to have his dear blood upon her head, he dying perhaps with a curse upon his lips? And little Suzanne's father, too, he an old man, and the others—oh, it was all too horrible. Wait, 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 how long? The early morning hours sped on and yet it was not dawn. The sea continued its incessant mournful murmur. The autumnal breeze sighed gently in the night. The lonely beach was silent, even as the grave. Suddenly from somewhere, not very far away, a cheerful, strong voice was heard singing, God save the King. Thanks for joining us for chapters 27 through 29 of the Scarlet Pimpernel. Be sure to join us next week's Sunday night for the conclusion of the Scarlet Pimpernel. This is your host and narrator, John Hagedorn. Thank you for being with us today. We appreciate reviews, so if you have a chance, please do send a review for 1001 Greatest Love Stories. We would appreciate that very much. Until next Sunday night, everyone, at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon.